Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha. Today we're joined with Brandon Franklin. Hey, Brandon, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How are you, Amanda? Oh, I'm doing good. Um, thanks for joining. And if you wouldn't mind, just start us off by giving an introduction for, your, for our listeners. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Brandon Franklin. I live in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, it is the home of the Derby in bourbon country, um, and I work for Jefferson County Public Schools. Um, currently, I'm one of four behavior analysts that we have in a district of 101,000 students in 174 schools. So you can imagine that we are spread pretty thin and in high demand. Um <clears throat> I got my start in behavior analysis about eight years ago. Uh, I studied at Spalding University. I got my master's there under Nick Weatherly, who is now at uh, FIT. Um, after that, uh, I did some community work, a place called Home Place in Lexington, Kentucky. and. Also, uh, I spent a long, a long time at CBA, who's in Louisville, and I know a lot of people probably know who they are uh, through their outreach programs. Um, but I had to make a decision that was best for me and my wife and our long-term sustainability as a family and chose to do some work in a school district. Uh, and if anybody out there is listening is thinking about working for a school district, uh, I would highly encourage looking into it. Uh, because the benefits are great. Um, I mean, I was just telling you a second ago, I mean, I'm on summer break, so I'm just hanging out in my bed with um, my miniature docs and Russ not doing much. And, um, I, you know, I, I enjoy it. I love it. And, um, you know, I guess I'm excited and ready to talk about more of that here today. Thanks, Brandon. One of the things that really excites me about the position that you have and the work that you're doing is definitely that you're working in a public schools, which is sort of my happy place. Um, but also it's the work that you're doing in the population that you're working with. Can you get into explaining a little bit more of that for our listeners? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the exciting aspects of when I took the position that I'm in now was that when I came in, it wasn't a special ed or an autism or developmental disability position. Uh, the kids that I work with, are um, general education uh, students. Um, they are, for the most part, if, if you're familiar with PBIS, um, they're tier three students. Some of them are borderline tier two, meaning they are the top 5% of behavioral challenges generally for a school building. Um, my job is to go in, assess the issue, what's going on, um, how we can fix it, build capacity within school, all those different buzzwords that people throw out. Um, but really to, to dilute it down, figure out exactly, you know, what's causing the student to have challenging behaviors, um, what we can do to fix that, and how I can um, build lasting change within a school building through the teachers and the admin. And really, when we took the position, there's three other uh, behavior analysts there now, when we took the position, the main charge that we were given by the district was, we want you to keep students out of special education who don't need to be there and are being referred due to behavioral challenges that schools may not be able to fix. Um, 
and we also need you guys to reduce suspension days. And um, as you can imagine, um, that's probably pretty different than what a majority of your listeners or a majority of our field um, are working with currently. So it's been exciting to kind of expand and, you know, explore this new avenue um, and share our science with people who may not be familiar with it or, you know, may not come in contact with it on a regular basis. So that leads me to my next question. Um, thinking about school consultations, you're going to interface with a lot of different players, and you already mentioned administrators and teachers. Um, what is, how has your approach been? What has your experience been like? And do you have any sort of tips for people about um, how to make those first interactions and how to work with people um, using behavior and, you know, analysis and analytic techniques who aren't familiar with ABA? Yeah, and the most important thing to remember when working, you know, with a whole new sector of the public who may not be familiar with us is um, they don't know what we, what we know. Um, so when you go in, of course, there's going to be things you see off the bat immediately where you're like, no, 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 no. But you have to remember parents, teachers, anybody for the most part we're working with, they're all giving us their best. They really are trying. They're vested. Um, it only makes sense for them to put their best foot forward and, you know, try to be as successful as possible because it makes their day easier and it makes, you know, everything around them easier. So, you know, a majority of the mistakes that I see or a majority of the things that people are doing, they just don't understand. And, you know, you sometimes you have to take a step back and be like, oh, this is really, really bad and I can't believe that you would think that this is a good idea. But they don't know. They legit do not know. Um, so that's, you know, one of the first things you have to do. Um, another thing you have to remember is, you know, a majority of the time when I'm working with somebody, this is the first interaction they've had with our science or behavior analyst or, you know, just our field in general. So I really want them to leave our interaction or our service or just anytime they come in, into contact with me or the people on my team, uh, I want them to leave that being like, wow, you know, behavior analysis is really great. It solved our issue. The people are nice. Uh, it's very intriguing, very effective, and I want more of this. I want to learn more of this because ultimately that's what that's what we all do and that's what we all strive for is to build our science and, quote, unquote, save the world with behavior analysis, right? Absolutely, absolutely. We want to save the world, and, and uh, we do that by getting people to – believe and see the value of our science. And you talked about showing people sort of that we can help, right? And then yeah. getting out of there. Um, that's something I think that you mentioned too, is like you want to leave people with this, you know, positive uh, image and feeling. But that also means that you're transitioning and feeding yourself out. So I love that you're promoting um, we're here, we're here to help. Um, and when we're not needed or when things are going back in the right track, like we're going to go help somebody else. How do you how do you first transition into a situation? Are you I mean, I don't imagine you're kind of just hanging in the back observing, but what do those interactions look like? How do you start to build that rapport with teachers? Yeah, so and just to give you a little insight into what our <clears throat> what our process is, uh, a school has to reach out to us and request assistance uh, from our team. Uh, we don't just go into schools blindly and say, who can we help, what can we do? So, uh, you know, a principal or a counselor or an assistant principal has to reach out to us and say, we have a student we think would be really good. Um, 
that's for you all to work with. We're struggling with this. We're struggling with that. So I kind of already know what's going on with this student uh, before I even walk in the school building. Now, when I walk in, I'll say, who is the point person that I'm going to work with while I'm here? Because that person needs to be on my hip or very near to me uh, while I'm working so they can understand and see exactly what I'm doing. Because, you know, if you look at it as like a tiered model, um, I'm, the behavior, I'm the behavior analyst. I look, as, I look at the teacher, the instructional assistant, kind of like my BCABA or my RBT or something like that. Um, but eventually when I fade out, the assistant principal or the counselor, whoever is running this, is going to, need to, going to need to play the role of me and ensure that the, the plan is being carried out, it's being um, used, the check for fidelity, uh, all those different things. So I'm kind of almost like implementing and creating a tier model within a school and then, you know, getting out of there. So I'm interviewing whoever that point person is and saying, now, what do you do? What can you do? What can you not do? What uh, issues are you having with the student? When are they happening? And just kind of really getting a great um, idea of what a possible function could be and when these things are happening. Uh, so that way, when I step into the classroom, um, I'm not going to feed into that behavior by reinforcing the negative behaviors with the function that, you know, they clearly have. So <clears throat> I, I generally actually do spend the first session trying to be anonymous, especially with the older kids. Um, because I like to see exactly what's going on, when, where, and how. And then when I come in for the next session, uh, I can either introduce myself to the kid or uh, and tell them what's going on. So if they're older, I do let them know. My name is Brandon Franklin. I'm a behavior analyst from the district. I'm here because of this, this, and this. Do you agree that there are some problems with this, this, and this? And they'll say, yeah. Okay, great. Well, uh, it's obviously you don't want to get suspended every other day, and you don't want to fight with your teachers, and you don't want to throw chairs. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay. Well, let me help you out with that. Um, now, with the younger kids, I just kind of hop in, and I've talked about my Elmo voice on some other publications and stuff before, so I'll hop in and, hey, I'm Mr. Brandon. Ah! You know, we go all excited, and they um, they like that. So then I kind of come in as, you know, just what they call it the big M&M. So, you know, I make myself a big M&M. Um, when I'm working with these kids. Now, when it comes to teachers, that's where it can either go great or it can go wrong. I find with the younger teachers, and this is just not, you know, just not a sweeping generalization because it's not always the case, but when I start talking to teachers, I'm like, yeah, you know, I've been teaching for five years or so, and I do realize that I have deficits in this or this, then I'm like, great, awesome. So let's just, you know, let's just go. Let's, let's roll from here. Also, let them know that this is their classroom. I say these are your four walls, and that's your nameplate on the front of the door. It doesn't say Brandon Franklin, uh, Marty Polio, who is our superintendent. If something goes down in this classroom, he's not going to come in looking for me. He's going to come looking for you. So I want you to be open and honest with me, and I want you to understand everything I'm asking you to do. I want you to be confident in everything I'm asking you to do. And if you feel like you cannot physically uh, you don't have time, you don't understand, or you don't think it's working, I want you to tell me, and we will find a different way to get the same job done. Um, and I feel like that resonates really well with teachers because they have enough people coming in telling them what they're doing wrong um, and how to do things, putting a poster on the wall and just leaving. Okay, I'll check with you in a couple weeks. Uh, I make it very clear to them that, you know, I am a resource, and I, uh, I'm there to help them. I'm not there to tell them that they're doing everything wrong, beat them up, throw a poster on the board, and leave. Uh, I'm going to be here for probably a month, and I'll check in with you um, maybe 
once a week for about three hours, and I will be in your classroom helping you and working on different things with you. Um, but in order for that to work, if I give you something to do or um, a protocol or procedure to use and you don't like it and you don't tell me and you just don't do it when I'm not there, this isn't going to work. So I need you to be 100% open and honest with me. And I've gotten some pretty good results out of that. It, it kind of takes them off of that edge. Like, who's this guy coming from district telling me how to run my classroom? You know, I'm coming in with my hands up, waving white flag. Hey, I'm a friend. I'm, I'm, I'm not here to tell you, um, you know, this, this, this is wrong. Move these chairs, do that. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to give you some, some different things that you might be able to use and make your day and your life a little bit easier. And that's really our goal, right, is to try to get everybody where they need to be and make everyone's day in life a little bit easier, sometimes by making ours harder in the process, but hopefully not in the end. You know, Brandon, I really connected with you saying these are your four walls. Um, my background, having been originally as a teacher, I live firsthand those experiences of people coming in and, and offering well-intended feedback, but then sort of leaving you um, there to decipher and interpret it as you will um, and sometimes it felt like not my classroom so I think like you said you're anticipating what those teachers are fearing which is this is just another of the same that hasn't helped before and you're kind of going in and saying hey listen look I'm here for you and if you, it's not going to work you tell me that but I also really like that you have that expectation of if you don't tell me this this relationship or we won't get the effects we're trying to get um, and I think that that, that gives that bi-directional sort of buy-in. Something else you said that really I think is in, in, uh, important and critical to talk about is your involvement of the students themselves. And I think that that becomes a challenge for people in our field who might be working with individuals who are not as fluent verbally. But I think there's always a way to include the individual. It just depends on um, how you're going to do that. So thank you for mentioning that. One of my next questions for you, though, is about data collection. You mentioned things about, like, suspensions and less behavioral referrals or, you know, what was your measure? And um, do you have any feedback on how things have gone or? Um, oh, yeah. What, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so last year uh, was our first year. We've only been in existence for two school years. Uh, last year we came in halfway through the year. So it was pretty easy to say the first half of the year is your baseline, the second half of the year is intervention. Uh, this year, we came in and out sporadic times. Some of us spent a week or two with some kids. Some of us spent, you know, a couple months with some kids. It really varied, and there was no real, like, it's a very fluid in and out, individualized for each student in each school, each situation. Um, so what I did is I started looking at, how could we legit get a baseline uh, and how could we legit have an intervention if we're coming in and out at different times? So what we did was we took rate data. Um, so we explored the baseline as, say I came in and a student had eight weeks of the school year um, before I got involved. Those eight weeks uh, would be their baseline. Now, we took the rate at which the student was being suspended, at which they had behavioral referrals, unexcused absences, uh, suspension days, and SCM holds, uh, safe crisis management holds, which are restraints. Um, 
and we took the rate of which those were happening, and then in this example would have been for those eight weeks. The point in which I step in a school building, that's when intervention begins uh, for us because the school district wants us to spend as little time as possible with each student, which is, you know, it, as a behavior analyst, you're like, well, how are we supposed to, you know, you know, come on, we need, we need more time. But, you know, as I said in the beginning, there are 101,000 students and four of us. So, you know, we're trying to make sure that we cover as many people as possible. So what I'm trying to show is through this data that the point in which we walk into a school and provide intervention until the end of the school year, even if I fade after two weeks, that what we've done in that school building sticks and is continuing to affect this student's day and this school building. So I take the rate at which all of the uh, categories I was um, taking data for during baseline and the rate at which I was uh, after I got involved, and that's my intervention. I take those, and there's 39 weeks in our school year, so I multiply those, each of those by 39, and that gives you the rate at which um, each would have been happening, or each would have happened for the entire school year. Then I take the difference between those, and um, those would be the rates at which, um, which we made change uh, for students over the school year. Um, and I think we came out to about, I can't, you know, specifically cite each and every single one of them, um, but I can tell you that suspensions were down uh, at a rate of about 400 uh, total for uh, our entire program, which, you know, like I said, we're tweaking things. I think we can do better. Um, but there, there are different factors and different things that I've kind of identified, such as caseload size, um, maybe, you know, some schools are a little tougher than others to work in and maybe uh, giving those up. So one person isn't loaded down with some tougher schools because it just kind of kind of it came in as a grab bag this year. Just whoever was up, whoever was up, whoever was up. So there really was no method um, to how cases were doled out. Just whoever's available. Um, so there are some things that I have identified. Um, but overall, you know, when I when I did take that data to um, our district admin, they were like, 400 is great. What, do you, what were you thinking? I was like, well, I thought we could get like seven or 800. And they're like, no, you're doing great. Like, don't, don't get crazy or carried away on us. Um, but that's just the behavior analyst in me, I guess, is I, I always want more and more and more. Um, but that worked out really well for us. We're actually uh, going to go back. I'm in, like I said, I'm on summer break right now. So as we get back, that's one of the first things we're doing is starting to compare last year's data to this year's data and see where our gains uh, and how far our gains were this year. So knowing what you've learned already just in the two years or a year and a half of experience with this, um, I imagine, like you said, you've made some tweaks along the way, but what would you say to anyone else who might be embarking under, uh, I know it's different conditions, but maybe in a similar situation, yeah. like, hey, these are the five things if we could go back to day one, if we had in place would have made everything easier, better. Do you have kind of those ideas? Yeah. Um, I you know, And our school district is learning <laughs> what a BCBA is and what ADA is and how they can utilize us. Um, and I'll tell you a funny story. I started on a Monday last it was yeah, last school year. I started on a Monday 
and I got a text from my soon-to-be supervisor and said, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Would you like to meet up for coffee so we can just kind of plan and figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to do this? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, great. You know, me walking into the situation thinking, okay, they already have things laid out for us and how we're going to do and what we're going to do and where we're going to do and all these different things. So I walk into the Starbucks and he goes, hey, Brandon, it's nice to meet you. Uh, I guess we can start out by talking about what a BCBA is and how you guys how you guys do your job. <laughs> I was like, oh boy, here we go. So I guess the biggest thing that I would do is um, number one, make sure they know our ethical and compliance code, um, because they operate in a completely different world than we do. Uh, and I've had to go back and forth a couple times, not out of not out of um, not from them coming from a bad place or wanting us to do anything unethical. They just don't know. And once I cite things for them and show them exactly what it is we can't do and why we can't do it, uh, they're fine with it and they understand. Um, so I would start with that and, and just make sure they know the limitations of what a BCBA is, what we can and cannot do. Like I cannot walk into a school building and say that I am a JCPS employee and I'll be doing an FA and a BSP on this kid just because I am a JCPS employee and they're a JCPS student. No, I still need consent for that. Um, but one thing that I, you know, one piece of advice of, as a, that I will give uh, to people who are listening to this, and Bob Ross actually told me this probably four years ago, um, and it's a piece of advice that has stuck with me, is if you go to somebody with a problem and you do not have a solution, you're just bitching. That's what he told me, and that has stuck with me for the last four years. So now if the district asks me to do something that I do not feel comfortable with or if it's something that uh, our compliance code says that you're not supposed to do, you can't do, I go to them and say, we cannot do this. However, we can still achieve the same goal or same outcome if we do this, this, and this. And once they find that out, they're a-okay with, with all of that because they do want to do things the right way. We just have to educate them on that. Um, another thing that I would also encourage is try to make sure that part of your job is um, conducting professional developments with people throughout the district. Um, we've gone two years now, and we haven't done a ton of that, but they also wanted us to get our feet underneath us within the school buildings before we really started going out and uh, teaching uh, other professionals within our district about ABA. And I know that is a big goal uh, and a big push that we will be having this up, up, upcoming school year is that we will be doing a ton of professional development. Because if I go in and I work with, you know, 10 schools, that's 10 schools that I've, you know, changed and I've worked with. But at the same time, there's 175 of them in our district, 174 of them in our district that we need to reach. Uh, so maybe a little bit of information with all of them would go a little further than just, you know, your hands-on caseload. Um, that you're working with. Another thing, and I think I've provided the district with some um, data on that on this this year, is caseload size. Um, you know, they're thinking that we could have tons and tons and tons of kids, but you know, we're able to show them through data and through um, different uh, literature and these and research that you know caseloads need to be kept at a certain level in order for us to achieve maximum efficiency. Um, and like I said, they're still learning. They're still figuring these things out. So once you bring them that data and you say, here's what happens when you give us 65 uh, students. This is where your levels are at. Here's what happens when we work with 50. Look at the difference. Even just the difference in 15 students over the course of the year 
um, proved to be proved to be quite large. So once they see these things and once they um, figure out exactly what it is that we do and how we operate, um, they're willing to you know kind of bend and change the way that they do things in order to accommodate the great work that we do. Um, and I will say, if you do get into a school district, start out with what they're asking you to do, but slowly along the way, kind of put a bug in their ear that you can do other things. And I would love to help on this, or I'd love to get involved in these different programs because we have trauma-informed care, we have social-emotional learning, we have restorative practice, we have positive behavior intervention supports, we have all these different things within our district that are being utilized that we aren't 100% involved in, uh, that we're starting to kind of get our feet wet in. Um, I helped out with a threat assessment at the end of this school year where a student had made a threat. Um, and I went in to help out just, hey, we think the student might have some issues that you can help out with. Let's create a plan to keep everybody safe. Um, but, you know, as a behavior analyst, I went in and it wasn't just the, okay, what can we do to keep everyone safe? Sorry, you made the threat. You know, you're going to deal with the consequences. It was, what can we do to help? He made the threat for a reason. What can we do to help him moving forward? Because we're not just going to up and remove him from the school. So what can we do to keep this from happening in the future? Set supports in place. Get him the help that he needs so that he can be successful too. Granted, we do want to address the threat concerns, and we did, and we kept everybody safe. But at the same time, what can I do for this student moving forward to next year to, number one, keep this from happening again, and number two, make sure that he's getting the things that he needs in order to be a successful student? So it's almost like turning the whole – the whole culture of threats on its head and saying, hey, man, we care We care about you too. We're here setting these things in place and carrying out this plan not to keep, not to just keep everyone else in this building safe, but to also keep you safe too because we care about you. What can we do to help you out? So it turned out that there were a lot of things going on with the student that weren't being identified and or dealt with. Uh, and we were able to do that so that, you know, he was successful for the rest of the school year, but moving into his eighth grade year, he's also going to be successful moving into eighth grade because we've already put things in place for next school year when he walks into that building. So those are the things that I would really, um, that I would really recommend if you're starting out is make sure up front that your school district knows exactly what they're getting in you as a BCBA, what we can and cannot do, how we work the most efficiently, and then once you kind of get some parameters and some stability in place with your program, start to branch out and show them that everything is behavior and we can legit help with every single aspect of your school district. Everything is legit behavior. <laughs> um, yep. Brandon, you did a, a wonderful job of summarizing some of those key points. And I arbitrarily picked a number five, and I think you gave us five or six, you know, like you said, explaining what a behavior analyst is and what we can and can't do, um, not coming in just with a complaint, but with that functionally equivalent replacement behavior in regards to your conversation with an advice from Bob. Um, that professional development piece, uh, again, having been a teacher, having been a behavior analyst in schools, when people feel like you can connect to their situation, so you've been in our school or you know where the playground is or how easy that isn't to implement 
um, that can really go a long way in connecting. Uh, caseload size, too, that was something I was going to ask you about. And the level of involvement obviously becomes higher the lower the case the caseload is. Um, and then, of course, just sort of being available and saying, hey, let me know or else you think I can help once you find me helpful. One of my um, last questions for you before we disconnect today and hopefully reconnect again on the future podcast and in between is how do you stay connected with your colleagues? You mentioned that there is a few other behavior analysts in the district. Um, I imagine you're all going in a bunch of different directions. Have you guys been able to put things in place to build support for one another? Oh, yeah, um, definitely. So we meet once a week uh, with our supervisor for about an hour. Uh, now there's four of us. Um, we um, just kind of connect through phones, through emails. Uh, every now and then we'll have a meeting if something's going down. Um, oh, and something that I had failed, I forgot to mention is we are actually in the process of hiring six more BCBAs um, here in the next month or two. So if anybody out there is listening and they feel like, you know, the schools in Louisville, Kentucky, or if you're nearby Louisville, Kentucky, or if you want to move, it's a great place, Manny. You've been here. Um, if anybody's interested in that, um, we can go over my contact information. Um, but now that we're hiring the six more to, to have a total of 10 BCBAs in our district, uh, I feel like what we're going to do is maybe have that meeting once a week with our supervisor for about an hour. And then after that meeting, we're going to have, you know, another one to two, however long hour meeting uh, that we need to have to ensure that everybody is bouncing ideas off each other. We're collaborating um, and, uh, you know, contacting uh, research, new articles, um, different things that are going on in our science to make sure that we are giving our students and our uh, staff uh, the best possible services that we can. We also have a really great uh, professional association here in Kentucky um, that, you know, we can reach out to anytime. There's about 250 to 300 of us here in the state. We're all very close. Um, and I know that I can reach out to almost anybody in the state at any time I need to. Uh, if I do have a question or something that, you know, I'm not 100% up to date or confident with. Um, so our team, yeah, we are very close. We've actually all known each other for probably five years. Um, and we've all worked together pretty closely. Um, so the teamwork aspect is, is a large part of what we do. Um, because sometimes we are covering for each other. Or we're going into schools that somebody else has been in before or we are working with an issue that, um, you know, last year I had two kids that would, um, would you know, one of their precursors was acting like a cat, you know, and it, talking to some people, it's happening with a lot of students, you know, it's not normal for you to say, yeah, I got a kid that is, you know, when they're starting to go into, you know, a behavioral episode, um, they'll start to act like a cat. Oh, yeah, I've had a couple kids like that. Okay, well, what did you do? So, you know, we do see a lot of the same types of behaviors, the same types of situations throughout entire districts. So uh, it's really great to be able to have three people that you really know, trust, uh, care about, and feel comfortable with in order to say, hey, you know, I'm having this issue. Have you ran into this before? And what did you do? Uh, and then have the confidence to take their feedback or something that they've done in the past 
and you know try to re replicate that in a school if it's appropriate. So that's that's kind of how we continue um, to make sure that we are all staying in contact with each other. Fantastic. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast and for sharing all this information with our listeners. Um, to make sure that people can reach out to you or uh, apply for any of those positions that you might have mentioned, is there a good way that um, people can connect with you or contact you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my email address is brandon.franklin at jefferson.kyschools.us. I'll say that one more time. Brandon dot Franklin at Jefferson dot KY schools dot US. Uh, you can also Google Jefferson County Public Schools in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, their website will come up and there's an em employment tab. Uh, those jobs should be listed, I want to say mid July. Um, but if you have any questions or need anything else, uh, feel free to reach out to me and contact me. I'll be able to help you out with anything that you need. Wonderful. Thanks again, Brandon. And for anyone who's interested in learning more about applied behavior analysis, you can always check out that information at www.behaviorbabe.com.